It's Thursday, March 29th, and this is Laura Lee Siemens. So we're heading into a very special weekend for Christians. It's Easter weekend. Tomorrow is Good Friday when we celebrate the death of Jesus. Now that might seem weird to say we celebrate the death of God, but it was his death that paid the price for our sins and gave us a way to be reconciled with God. Sunday is the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And this is what makes us different than any other religion. Our God is alive. A lot of things have happened this week that I could talk about. Uh, there was the march in the States. We talk about first world problems on full display. People were literally marching to ask the government to take away their rights. Uh, apparently, Americans have so many rights, they can ask the government to take some of them away. The same government, by the way, that uh, is run by a man that they keep saying is literally Hitler. So they might want to look at the history of that because Hitler came out with some pretty shady laws right after he took all the guns away. Just saying. There's also the tweet by Planned Parenthood where they said Disney needed to have a princess have an abortion. So that's horrifying. The tweet was deleted and Planned Parenthood said they realized it was inappropriate. I kind of feel like maybe they should have known it was inappropriate before tweeting it. And there's the ice cream shop in Toronto that's named itself Sweet Jesus, but uses satanic symbols in its marketing. And of course, the libertarian in me says, hey, if that's what you want to do, good luck getting customers. And the Christian in me says, yeah, please don't use satanic symbols in the same space as the name of Jesus. But also, Christians who are upset about this, let's show them uh, how Jesus would respond with kindness, firm and loving kindness. And in Ontario, our premier is trying to get reelected by giving stuff away, as much stuff as she possibly can, uh, stuff she's going to have to pay for with your money. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about any of those things today. If you want to hear more about them, you can check out my blog, my YouTube channel, or my webpage. Also, by the way, I love hearing from people who said they listened and loved the podcast. Can you do me a favor and hit the subscribe button? Also, leave a review, five stars, that would be perfect. But today, today I'm going to talk about Jesus. Because it is Easter weekend, I'm going to answer some questions people ask me about Jesus. First, let's start with the question I get, or rather, I guess I would say a statement that I hear, and that is that Jesus was a socialist. I hear people tell me that if I'm a follower of Jesus, and if I believe the Bible, then I have to be a socialist also. So today I'm not going to really be comparing capitalism to socialism, although I would like to do a podcast about that in the future. Today I'm going to be comparing the teachings of Jesus with the teachings of socialism. First of all, the two teachings have one thing in common. The Bible and socialism are both against oppressing the poor. We can see this in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. And it says, Those who exploit the powerless anger their maker while those who are kind to the poor honor God. This is just one of many verses where the Bible tells us we are not to exploit the poor and we are to show kindness to them. The Bible says that true religion is helping the widows and orphans in their distress. This might sound pretty Marxist to you, but now let's talk about the difference. The Bible tells us to give freely with a cheerful heart. We give and God blesses us. Socialism takes everything we own and gives it to the government, who then decides who needs it and who doesn't need it. Everyone ends up oppressed under heavy taxation. Let me explain the difference to you this way. 
Let's imagine you go to Tim Hortons and you get a coffee and it's roll up the rim season. You finish your coffee and then you roll up the rim. You know, you squish the cup together and then you roll up that part and wait, you're not getting that normal. Please try again. You got a brand new car. Now you already have a car. Actually, you just finished paying it off. So now you have two cars. This is awesome. That night you're in bed and you remember hearing about a single mom in town who's really struggling. And you think, I have two cars. You know what? I could give one of my cars to help that mom. The next day, you deliver a car to this mom. She's happy and you're even happier because you know you did something amazing to help somebody else. This is what the Bible teaches. But take that same story. But this time, the government says, you can't have two cars. You actually can't own any cars. We're going to come and take away both of your cars. And then we'll look at your situation. And if we think you need a car, then we'll let you have one. This is socialism. Under socialism, there's no private property. But does the Bible teach private property? Well, the eighth commandment is don't steal. It's kind of hard to steal something if nobody owns anything. But if that's not clear enough, the 10th commandment is very clear. Don't covet your neighbor's house, wife, or possessions. Which is another huge reason you can't be a Christian and a socialist. The entire movement of socialism rests on the need for the people to covet the house, the possessions, everything of the upper class. Socialism versus Christianity can really be summed up as coveting versus contentment. But you might be saying, what about the early church? Didn't they give everything they had to live together in a community? Well, yeah, the early church did live that way, but they weren't commanded to live that way. However, the church was commanded to take care of the widows and the orphans that were in their church. But even in this commandment, there was guidelines that were given. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 says that anyone who is not willing to work shouldn't eat. And 1 Timothy 5.10 states that widows that the church helped had to have a reputation of good work. The church was only supposed to help those who had no family to help. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 says that families who don't care for members of their own families, they've denied their faith. And actually, they're worse than people who have no faith at all. Families is actually another way socialism doesn't work with Christianity. Frederick Ingalls is one of the founders of the socialist movement. He said he wanted a society where family was not the economic unit. He wanted the care and the education of the children to be done by the public and not by the family. Christianity, on the other hand, is built around the family unit. The last reason I know socialism is not from God is that it doesn't work. If you do things God's way, it will be successful. And socialism has never been successful. The only place where it's mildly maybe successful is where there's still capitalism and the capitalism is still keeping the country afloat. However, any country that fully embraces socialism ends with the oppression and the starvation of its citizens. The truth is you can't be a Christian and a socialist and the socialists get that. That's why the first ones murdered under socialism are often the Christians. And that's why the Bible is banned in socialist and communist countries. So why, according to a recent poll, does 24% of people believe Jesus would support socialism? How come only 14% believe Jesus would support capitalism? And even worse, how come 62% were unsure? 
I'm guessing they just haven't read the Bible. Another question I get is what is the Trinity? Is there three gods? Let's look at the definition of Trinity. The Trinity is three persons, one being. All right, so now let's define persons and being. A being is what you are. A person is who you are. So for me, I am a human being. That's the being that I am. I'm a human being. It's what I am. I'm a female, I have brown eyes, I have two legs, I have two arms. These all describe my being. It's what I am, a human being. A person is who I am. I'm passionate, I can be loving, I can also be hateful. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister. These are who I am. People are one being and also one person. But God is different. He is one being and three persons. This is really only hard to understand if you think you're God or if you think you're like God or that God is like you. But here's a newsflash, you're not God. You are a human being, that is your being. God is a different being. So there's only one God, that is his being, but God has three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So no, there's not three gods. There's one being, God, but three persons. So the next question I get is, did Jesus claim to be God? Once you understand the Trinity, you can understand that when Jesus said he was the Son of God, he was not claiming to be the offspring of God, he was claiming to be the part of the Trinity, the son part of the Trinity. I've met Muslims who have said the reason they hate Christianity is that we believe that God came to earth and had sex with Mary and they made a baby. And I can see why this belief would make somebody kind of angry. No, this is not what Christianity teaches. We believe that Jesus is God. So did Jesus claim to be God? I'm going to show you four ways Jesus claimed to be God in his miracles, his conversations with people, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. So first of all, his miracles. Every time Jesus healed somebody, he would forgive their sins. When Jesus told people he forgave their sins, he was claiming to be God. The people around him knew that's what he was claiming, and they reacted in anger. We can see from the crowd's reaction, and especially the rulers of the temple, it was very clear he had claimed to be God. The actual act of the miracle itself was Jesus showing he was God. When Jesus performed the miracles of healing, he showed he was God by doing something only God can do. But you might say that Jesus, but you might say, well, wait a minute, Jesus' disciples, they also performed miracles. But look at how they did these miracles. Jesus' disciples did also perform miracles, but they did it in the name of Jesus. These miracles also show that Jesus was God. Let me read you some verses to show you what I mean. In Mark chapter 2, we read this. After a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum, and people heard that he was at a home. So they gathered there. So many gathered that there was no longer space, not even near the door. Jesus was speaking the word to them. Some people arrived, and four of them were bringing to him a man who was paralyzed. They couldn't carry him through the crowd, so they tore off part of the roof above where Jesus was. When they made an opening, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Some legal experts were sitting there and they muttered among themselves, 
Why does he speak this way? He's insulting God. Only the one God can forgive sins. Jesus immediately recognized what they were discussing. And he said to them, why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed person, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your bed and walk. But so you will know that I have the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, get up, take up your mat and go home. Jesus raised him and right away he picked up his mat, walked in front of everyone. They were all amazed and praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. You can see from this story, Jesus is clearly claiming to be God. The people recognize that only God can forgive sins. Jesus said he was God by telling the man his sins were forgiven and then proved he was God by healing the man. We also see in his conversations that Jesus said he was God. Here's a story from John chapter 10. The Jewish opposition circled around him and asked, How long will you test our patience? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But if you don't believe, it's because you don't belong to my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never die. And no one will snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now this statement, I and the Father are one, is clearly Jesus answering that he is God. But you can tell by the crowd's response that they also acknowledge that he has just answered that he is God. Listen to what happens next. Again, the Jewish opposition picked up stones in order to stone him. Jesus responded, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jewish opposition answered, We don't stone you for a good work, but for insulting God. You are human, yet you make yourself out to be God. At this point, you can clearly see that they understand he has just claimed to be God. But Jesus goes on and once again points the miracles he's done to show as proof that he is God. He doesn't say, no, 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 you're misunderstanding me. But rather, he again says, the Father and I are one. Listen to this. Jesus replied, so how can you say that the one whom the Father has made holy and sent into the world insults God because he said, I am God's son? If I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me, but I do them. And you don't believe me. Believe in the works so that you can know and recognize that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they wanted to arrest him, but he escaped from them. One of my favorite stories is of Jesus at the well. In this story, Jesus meets a woman at the well and asks her for water. This is strange because one, men don't talk to women in this culture. And two, she's a Samaritan and Jews don't talk to the Samaritans. In this passage, Jesus shows himself to be God. But what's amazing is that he's revealing himself to the Samaritan woman. And he shows he's the God of all, not just the Jews. This is in John chapter 16. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. How awesome is that? Jesus was saying he is the Messiah, the one she's been waiting for, the one called the Christ. 
The term he uses is I am, and that's significant, and he uses it often. When Jesus uses the term I am, he is saying he is God. This comes from the story of Moses and the burning bush. When Moses saw the bush, he asked who it was. God said, I am. I am is a name for God. John chapter 5 verse 58 says, I assure you, Jesus replied, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Once again, the reaction of the crowd shows clearly that he was claiming to be God, and they all knew it. In a conversation with his disciples, Jesus asks them who they think he is. In Matthew chapter 16, we hear, When Jesus came to the area of Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And he said, Well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, Happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown this to you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. So the church will be built on the statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The last 2,000 years of history has shown this to be true. So in his miracles and in his conversations, Jesus claimed to be God. But at his trial, Jesus also claimed to be God. The very fact that he was crucified was because he claimed to be God. In Mark chapter 14, we, we read, Then the high priest stood up in the middle of the gathering and examined Jesus. Aren't you going to respond to the testimony these people have brought against you? But Jesus was silent and didn't answer. Again, the high priest said, Are you Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right side of the Almighty and coming in the heavenly clouds. When the high priest heard this, he tore his clothes and said, Why do you need any more witnesses? You've heard his insults against God. What do you think? And they all condemned him. He deserves to die. Some began spitting on him. Some covered his face and hit him, saying, Prophesy. Then the guards took him and beat him. John chapter 18, we read, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own or have others spoken to you about me? Pilate responded, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your nation and its chief priests handed you over to me. So what have you done? Jesus replied, My kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, my guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. So are you a king, Pilate said. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. I was born and came into this world for this reason, to testify to the truth. Whoever accepts the truth listens to my voice. In Luke chapter 22, we read, They said, If you're the Christ, tell us. He answered, If I tell you, you won't believe. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated on the right side of the power of God. They all said, Are you God's son then? He replied, You say that I am. Jesus is crucified. He's put in a tomb. The tomb is blocked with a huge rock, sealed with a seal that tells anyone it's against the law to remove the stone. And then guards stand and guard the tomb. 
But Jesus is stronger than the guards, stronger than the law, stronger than a stone, and stronger than death because he's God. And his very resurrection proves that he is God. But just to be sure, we all understand that he's God. Jesus again shows us after his resurrection, he's still claiming to be God. In John chapter 20, we read, And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Jesus responded to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence. Signs that aren't recorded in the scroll. But these things are written so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. So, yes, Jesus did claim to be God. So what does this mean? What is the Easter story? The Easter story is the love story that is spelled out across the pages of the Bible. It starts with God creating a wonderful world and having a perfect relationship with mankind. And then that relationship is ruined when Adam and Eve decide to do things their way instead of God's way and sin enters the world. And right at that moment, God reveals that he has a plan to rescue mankind. But first we see in the Old Testament, God showing what is holiness and man's attempt to try and be holy. But over and over, we see man cannot meet God's standards. And through all the stories of the Old Testament, we see God's character of love and forgiveness and grace. And we see clues of his plan to rescue the world. And then as the New Testament opens, we see that God himself is the plan. God comes to earth, takes the punishment for our sins. But first he died. But before he dies, he lives as a man. He's poor. He's a child. He's a brother. He's a teen. He's an adult. People love him. People hate him. He lives under an oppressive government. He has friends. He has friends that fight with each other. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Jesus went through that as well. God chose to live life. So when you bring your troubles to him, he could say, yes, I know. I felt that same thing. And after that life, he allowed people he came to save to kill him. They beat him. They mocked him. They whipped him. They stripped off his clothes and humiliated him. They put him on a cross and nailed him to the wood. But they didn't kill him. He willingly let them do every part of this because he gave up his life. And on that cross, while everyone sees the nakedness, the blood, something worse happens that was unseen. The blame for every sin since Adam and Eve went on Jesus. And the blame for every sin since that moment went on Jesus. And Jesus was separated from the part of the Trinity that was God the Father. And there all alone, covered in the guilt of every sin, Jesus died alone. But he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And now he wants to give you life. And when you fall on your face before God as a sinner, when you believe that Jesus really is God, when you call out to him and ask him to save you, he will. He always will. Why don't you do that today? Make this the Easter you celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm Laura Lee Siemens, and see you next week.